Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams. Hello and welcome to the Saturday Brunch show on this glorious spring morning. Does the teaching profession have an image problem? Harry Hampton believes it does and he's on a mission to change the way we self-present to the world. So here's a question for you. If you were to design a logo to represent our teaching profession, what would it look like? Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome everybody and it is the most beautiful and glorious spring morning at last. Uh, I know I've been moaning about the weather on and off uh, a great deal but finally the sunshine is here, spring is in the air, the bulbs are coming up and things are looking fantastic. So we're going to be talking about how we self-present to the world today and I'm going to be interviewing Harry Hudson who is the co-author of a book called Must Do Better how to improve the image of teaching and why it matters. So I've already got Harry listening in, which is fantastic. So I'm going to bring him in straight away. Uh, Harry, do I have you? Are you here in the studio? You do. Hello. Good morning, Emma. Hello. Lovely to have you on the show. Very nice to be here. Thanks for asking me on. Wonderful. Well, if you are um, okay with it, I thought that we could start um, by reflecting on the ideas in the first third of your book which is the real problem that we've got in the profession and I have to confess this is the bit of the book I enjoyed the most because mm. there's so much that I recognized and empathized with um, and it, it really did make me reflect on on the problems that we've got so I love the fact that you start with history about how teachers have been portrayed in literature over the years. Talk me through that. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the book came about really, Emma, from this this idea that, um, that the image problem that teaching has has been around for a long time, uh, really. Mm. And we've, again, when we were researching the book and actually since we've published it as well, we, we've spoken to a lot of people about this idea of the image of teaching. And the idea that's come up again and again and again is, yeah, teaching's got an image problem, but kind of thus it ever was, has been the attitude that most people have taken. And it's kind of always been like that. Uh, and it always will be like that. So that got us thinking really about, well, um, kind of what, what actual sort of hard evidence is there for teaching having an image problem if you go back into previous centuries? And kind of what better place to look really than, than books and fiction in particular? Um, so we, we looked at some of the sort of the classics from the canon um, and we looked at Dickens, actually. And I know you, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, didn't you? Uh, yes. Emma? Um, in particular, books like uh, Nicholas Nickleby, Hard Times, uh, Dombey and Son, all of the big kind of the Dickens classics. They feature teachers because this is a time kind of when teaching is starting to become an institution, uh, a sort of institutionalized profession. It's kind of in its embryonic stages. But they're nearly all negative about teachers um, and the portrayal of teachers is sort of unequivocally uh, bad. Um, and that has just kind of continued really through literature into the through the 19th century into the 20th, obviously, perhaps most famous in, in Evelyn War, Decline and Fall. 
uh, and then it still continues really in, into the 21st. Um, and it, it's interesting, I suppose, looking at books because not only do those books kind of give us an indication as to what kind of people were thinking at the time, but those books themselves have gone on to influence people's perceptions of the profession uh, and arguably continue to do so now. Mm, I, I think it's definitely the case. And and obviously, you mentioned my show a couple of weeks ago where I was looking at how one of the things I touched on was how teachers are portrayed in children's literature. Mm. And so, of course, we not only, and we'll, we'll, we'll come uh, on in, in a moment to how... Uh, the point you make about how children see their teachers, but also it's how children read about teaching when they're very young. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And if if the sort of um, the teachers you're seeing portrayed in fiction from primary school age are portrayed in a certain way, then it's kind of little surprise that you take those sort of tropes and those stereotypes through with you as you yourself begin to enter the workplace and start thinking about what you want to do with your life um, after uh, sort of post-18. Um, so we need we need kind of a role model for teachers in popular culture um, to, 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 to a degree that just doesn't really exist at the moment. And as well, I suppose, thinking about film, it's the same in film, really. We come across the same sort of thing um, where you, you just don't really have many sort of unequivocally positive portrayals of teachers, or at least, I suppose, teachers that that we would recognise as kind of your standard uh, standard your standard model. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously this sort of Jack Black character in School of Rock. Um, and you, there are various sort of um, sort of var- variants on a theme that sort of charismatic, slightly wacky, maverick teacher. But in terms of a kind of a standard classroom teacher, there aren't that many positive portrayals really. And it, it was really interesting actually as we researched the book and as we started writing it, how hard we found it to come up with with uh, positive characterizations of the profession. Yeah, it, it is. It is definitely the case, and certainly. Yeah, towards the end of my my show last fortnight, I did touch on film as well, and thought, mm. yeah, the only positive mm. portrayals are the extremes, yeah. like you say, the mavericks or um, those that you know sacrifice their entire life for the profession. And, yes, um, and and that's something you talk about as well. I I love the fact that you address the potential problem with seeing teaching as a vocation, mm. uh, and you 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 dig into that a little bit um that you know saying there's nothing perhaps nothing wrong with it and, it and it's very important to some teachers that they feel teaching is a vocation but this is something I've always had a, a worry about I, I remember a, a member of my family who who left teaching mm. saying oh well, you, you know you've got to so want to be a teacher don't mm. you agree it's got to be an absolute vocation and I sort of said no <laughs> don't, yeah. don't agree. or at least it shouldn't be like that yeah, no, exactly. And I think I think this sort of speaks to a broader point as well, actually, Emma, and I know I'm mainly speaking to teachers here, that, that actually the way we present ourselves as a profession contributes to the problem sometimes. And that I think there is sometimes this slightly holier than thou uh, sort of view that, um, as you say, it's got to be a calling, it's got to be a vocation. Uh, otherwise, you're you're not really kind of a proper teacher. And uh, as you say, kind of great, if you feel you have that sort of vocation, which itself is a slightly dated term, I suppose now, but if you feel you have that vocation, that's fantastic, but it's not a prerequisite. And actually, um, there are many fantastic teachers who have just kind of, uh, who have just come into it um, and have, have found a love for it that, that they didn't necessarily kind of uh, feel uh, at the outset. Um, and therefore, I don't think, as you say, we shouldn't be kind of dissuading people from thinking about teaching just because they haven't sort of had this uh, this sort of lightning moment, this sort of call 
uh, as it mm. were, to, to join the profession because uh, it doesn't have to start that way. No, indeed. And relating to that, I was very interested um, in your positive view of series like Educating Essex. Mm. Um, because again, I mean, I, I hugely enjoyed them as I imagine most, <laughs> most teachers did. Yes. But again, one of my worries was that the portrayal was of the job as being incredibly hard work and giving you, I mean, I can't remember which of the series it was, but there was one deputy head who was desperate, making himself ill, you know, Mm. Um, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, I mean, in some ways I thought, well, this is good. Maybe people will realise it is a tough job, but again, if we're selling ourselves, it's perhaps not ideal. No, it's true. And I think there's a, there's a sort of fine line here, really, because on the one hand, we and the reason really we say in the book that they those sort of series were so good is because they just opened a lot of people's eyes to what what modern schools were like and actually what what teaching is actually like. Um, and as you say, it gave a lot of people finally kind of the understanding that actually teaching is uh, quite hard work um, <laughs> and actually does require quite a lot of skill. Um, so in that sense, that I think was a kind of a net win. But you're right, they, they were far from perfect. And actually what we kind of call for to an extent in the book is to continue to, to sort of continue that, that idea of the fly on the wall documentary um, in schools, but actually perhaps start to focus on schools where things are going well, uh, or where it's not kind of constantly firefighting and actually sort of showcasing some of the, the, the great sort of practice that is going on in 21st century schools. Um, and using that format and just kind of tweaking it slightly. Um, now, now we've kind of seen that there is an audience out there who are going to be interested in what's going on in schools and who kind of are actively uh, looking to kind of to, to get a greater understanding of, of modern schooling. Um, to we can do ourselves a favour by actually saying this is some of the good practice that is going on in in modern schools. Mm, yeah. Well, let's um, let's focus on the uh, something we've already touched on, which is how. Obviously, there's how teachers are portrayed in in children's literature and what children think of their teachers Mm. and the fact that then this basically makes everybody feel they know what teaching is. (laughs) And I think you're absolutely right. Everybody thinks, everybody's got an opinion about teachers because everybody has spent several years of their life being taught by them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's again, teaching's in a slightly unusual position there, really, isn't it? Because there are there are a few other jobs that everyone has had some sort of kind of experience of, albeit as as a child rather than as as a teacher, um, mm. and that that poses a problem for teaching, and it kind of always will, in that people get to to the end of their time at school and they think, right, I've seen teaching, I know what teaching's all about. Um, let's, uh, I want to do something new. I want to, um, yeah do look at a career that I haven't seen before and obviously that's completely understandable and something that as teachers we should be uh, encouraging clearly in our in our pupils um, but at the same time actually we need to be kind of encouraging people to think that what you see when you're in the class as a child uh, is only a fraction of what teaching involves uh, and clearly it's a completely different experience to to the experience of being the adult in the room um, uh, and actually teaching kind of encompasses a far broader range of skills and a broader range of experiences than than what you get from from sort of child's eye perspective Mm. Um, and I think as I said that's always going to be an issue because that's just an inherent that's just part of the the function of teaching isn't it that that you you have that you have kids in front of you they will leave school having seen you teach Um, but I suppose 
there is also an opportunity here actually in that it turns into a bit of a virtuous circle in that um, if uh, kids are leaving school actually having had a positive experience of schools by and large uh, and as uh, with good views of their teachers actually they will be encouraged to think might be a good profession for me to go back into Um, so there is kind of hope there as well uh, for for teaching well, I, I hope so. But of course, the very title of that chapter, which has been there, done that, you mm. you do address the problem that I think a lot of people feel that if you go into teaching, especially if you go into teaching straight after university, that somehow you've never left school yeah. and you haven't moved on. And I mean, I certainly got, I get that messaging from my own family. Mm. Um, they sort of, well, well you, it's, uh, I think, you know, Freud is like you've never been in the real world, what, mm. whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I certainly, it's something I'm very conscious of because at both the schools I've worked in, I've stayed there quite a long time. And whenever I've seen students, I, I, I currently live in the area where I teach and I see, obviously see ex-students and they'll go, oh, you, you're still there. And they quite like to know you're still there because they quite like the fact that the school hasn't changed or mm. they like to think of it as the same. But again, the messaging is, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that they want to leave behind. Mm. And I do think that is a challenge for the professional. Yeah, it is. And perhaps that is, again, something to do with more broadly of the value we place on education in society. And actually, um if we if we were to value education more and the role of education uh, in improving society we would see teachers not as kind of uh, as sort of almost glorified childminders but but actually as enablers of social progress enablers of societal improvement um and actually that suddenly becomes a different proposition because you're you're no longer just kind of treading water as you say you're actually now uh, you're you're a vital sort of function within society. You're you're playing a vital role, uh, and why would you want to move on from that? And this this is this issue of the real world is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because um, it's it's a criticism actually that's levelled against politicians a lot as well, isn't it? Um, particularly mm-hmm. if you think sort of the, the sort of brand of politicians that started to come through in this sort of the noughties and the and the and the two thousand and tens. A criticism that's often levelled against politicians is that they haven't been in the real world. They've just gone from school, university, and then they've entered straight into politics. Um, so, I mean, where is the real world? Uh, what, <laughs> what, what, what is this sort of mythical uh, real world? I mean, why, why is it sort of ob- um, objectively better to, have, to, to go and do another job? I mean, what is not real about teaching? Um, it, in many ways, you see sort of the reality of life far more than you would in, in most other jobs. Um, but yeah, as you oh, say, absolutely. That, yeah. that, that's, that's a bigger thing, uh, really, I think, for society to to think about, really. Mm, I, I, I do. I've, I've always found it very strange what, what this mythical real world was that I was supposed to have experienced mm. yeah. <laughs> um, and apparently yeah. have not. Um, well, and, I think... and I think, it, but again, it's that idea, isn't it, that teachers are sort of somehow uh, slightly failed academics, I suppose. Yes. yes. Is, that, is that the problem? I think so. Yeah. Well, failed academics or just sort of failed generally, really, and that they've uh, fallen, <laughs> fallen back into um, fallen back into teaching, um, which is uh, unfortunate. But that is exactly what we're the sort of the bubble with the boil. We're trying to lance really with the book uh, and trying to sort of get this conversation going uh, about why that is the case and why actually it doesn't need to be the case, because 
and this is a kind of an important point to make, really. I mean, it, it isn't like this in other countries, actually. And there isn't anything kind of inherent to the role of the teacher that means it should be viewed in this way. And if you look at other countries around the world, not all, uh, and I'm not saying that other countries have got it completely sussed, because uh, in many cases they don't. Um, but nonetheless, in a lot of other countries, uh, the teacher is held uh, in greater esteem within society than they are here. Um, and therefore, clearly, there's a disparity between what we are experiencing at the moment and what we could be experiencing. And it's just a question of how we get from position A to position B. Um, uh, and it, it will take, I think, a concerted push to get there. Um, but why, okay, why not now? Um, COVID has kind of encouraged us to rethink so many things. And, and I suppose a point we make as well in the book, in the introduction of the book, actually, is that parents in particular have come up close and personal with teaching, with education, uh, in a way they haven't for, for decades because of the lockdowns and because of the, the requirement to do sort of homeschooling. And actually, if this doesn't act as a spur to, to finally kind of rethink the role of the educator within society, uh, then what will? And, and kind of on a similar vein as well, people are sort of starting to think or have been encouraged to think more about their jobs um, and about the, their, their own jobs and about this kind of the value, the worth of their own job. Um, and there are sort of, there's been quite a lot of interesting writing come out over the last couple of years about people increasingly thinking, well, what is the point of my job? Why was I going five days a week on a hellish commute uh, into the, into the centre of London to do a job which ultimately, kind of when you look at it in the cold, hard light of day, doesn't really have much point? Now, that is something that can never be said of teaching because teaching has an inherent and intrinsic value uh, which is never going to never going to die. And I mean, for all the talk of AI and teaching, I, I certainly think there's a role for te- greater greater role for technology in teaching, but that kind of human connection between the teacher and the pupil is never going to die. Uh, and the role of the teacher as uh, bringing up the next generation within society is never going to lose value. Um, so as people kind of start to reevaluate a huge range of things, but not least the, their own job, it will throw teaching itself into a new light, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know, well, perhaps, perhaps that's overly <laughs> optimistic, Emma, perhaps that's optimistic, <laughs> but it's, it's the hope I'm holding out for anyway. <laughs> Well, we, before we we um, we will take a, a look at some of your solutions because I think they're 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 very interesting. I must admit, my my eyebrows were hitting my hairline on a couple of occasions, um, <laughs> but I, I can't resist staying a, a bit longer on on the, on our image problem because it is so interesting. Now, mm. I don't know uh, if you're too young to remember the sketches from the Armstrong and Miller show. Uh, a few, a couple here and there. Yeah, yeah so um, uh, reading your book immediately made me think. Um, so for the for the uninitiated, these were, I think, in direct, taking, taking the mickey directly out of the government campaign to recruit teachers, which was running on television at the time. And I, I've, I've got a few clips because I just think each, each of these clips, I think, illustrate one of the image problems that you you address in the book and they, they're pretty classic I will confess to finding them hilarious <laughs> um, but they are of course part of our problem mm. so the first clip I have it's just a just a few seconds is um, I've entitled the mental health wreck so here's the first clip from Armstrong and Miller well, I left college and I did apply for lots of jobs but never seemed to get them I'd occasionally get a second interview but never the actual And then I guess I just sort of gave up, went back to live with my parents, got very depressed, a couple of years going in and out of hospitals. 
And then one day I woke up and I thought, well, why not become a teacher? Good enough to get a degree, but not good enough to get a job. Be a teacher. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that loss. Good enough to get a degree, but yes. good enough. To get a job. Yeah, that, that sums it up, doesn't it? It's the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, where does that particular image come from? Do you think is it is that perpetuated by the idea that the workload is so high and and that I, I don't know because again, I do think it that general image is there for some. Yeah, and I think it's partly as well to do with this with this idea that kind of teaching doesn't really have much skill to it, in the, and that teaching is kind of mm. a profession that isn't really like other professions in in that it's not like medicine or it's not like law or architecture or engineering or, or any of these other sort of comparable professions really, in that it doesn't have a sort of body of skill or a body of knowledge that you need to master in order to be able to do it, and that people still think you can kind of rock up. Uh, and it's just all about charisma and you just kind of you just sort of do your stuff at the front. Um, yeah. But actually, again, and one of the things we talk about in the book really is the need to to kind of get them the message out there that actually no teaching is uh, does require a, a, a body, a skill set, a body of knowledge. Um, and I suppose that is improving, that is increasing the whole time. Um, and that, again, I think that's a particularly kind of encouraging positive development in teaching, particularly in the last sort of 20, 10, 20 years this huge body of cognitive uh, psychology and neuroscience, which is starting to, to emerge and is doing so with a sort of increasing speed, really, um, and is informing uh, ITT programmes around the country, is informing uh, how we as, as um, trained teachers think as well. Uh, and that kind of role for continuous professional, uh, professional development through, throughout your career and actually getting non-teachers to, to look at teaching in that light uh, sort of in the same in the same guise as, as the same medicine, law, architecture, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, as being a sort of a, a profession with a skill set. Mm. I think you're absolutely right, and I think if I'm being honest, I think that is is new to the profession. I think mm. it's it's the last ten to twenty years. And in fact, I found myself saying the other day, I genuinely don't think that teaching did used to be a profession. Yeah. In the yeah. way that it is now. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because um, Roy Blatchford, who's the, the co-author of the book with me, uh, said exactly the same. Now, he's, he's been teaching a lot longer than I have. Um, and he, uh, he said exactly the same, that teaching just is more professional now than mm. it used to be. Um, I think he started in the, in the 70s and 80s. And, and he's, the, the transformation in the profession is just remarkable, really, from where it was. Now, clearly, that's not to say that there weren't excellent teachers in the 70s and 80s obviously no, not of course but nonetheless kind of as a profession uh, we are now as you say i think we can call ourselves a profession whereas perhaps before uh, we couldn't uh, it was it was just more kind of ad hoc i suppose but now there is um, there is a greater professional body of knowledge um, yeah which, which which lends itself more to us being able to sort of call ourselves a profession and see ourselves in the same light as medicine and law and, and so on I think that's the point. Uh, like you say, of course, there were gifted and inspirational teachers. There always have been, but it, mm. it happened by default. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that that knowledge was not dissected and shared and, and taught uh, and passed on. Whereas yeah. I feel that now the amount of thinking that we do about how children learn and therefore what is the best way to present material I yeah. mean even when I trained 22 years ago that was 
frankly not discussed. Mm. It, it really was mm. not. It was all about, oh, well, I mean, I suppose the closest they got was you, need, you don't pack too much into a lesson. Mm. But then the rest of it was just, oh, make sure you, you entertain them. Yes. Uh, so that they don't lose interest. But yeah. there was no real thought about, well, okay, but are they learning it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And again, actually, I mean, look at what we're doing now. I mean, we're talking on a Saturday morning uh, about teaching. Um, yes. and, and, and equally, that, I mean, there are loads of teaching podcasts out there as well. There's lots of stuff on, online, on social media. Um, and kind of teachers talk about teaching uh, in a way that perhaps they weren't, they didn't before and they, they weren't able to as easily. Uh, before as well and that's a healthy development I think I mean uh, Twitter's obviously got its faults um, but if one of the silver linings of, of Twitter one of the benefits of Twitter is kind of edu Twitter and and the role it's played in allowing teachers to share ideas and to talk about the profession more uh, well what's not to like mm, yeah absolutely so this this perpetual image of, of as you put it it being a job that you can just rock up to and mm. and join at any point because you're you think, well, you know, I've run out of options. And that's certainly the way the, the Armstrong and Miller uh, sketches portray. That's that's a running theme, isn't it? Of, yeah. Well, everything else is, has uh, gone to seed, so I'll, I'll, I'll become a teacher. That that was the sort yeah. of running gag. Um, yeah. And that's partic- particularly portrayed in my uh, second Armstrong and Miller clip, which is, I, I've called it the waster. So are you ready for your your, your second stereotype? Looking forward to it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, went travelling after I left college, great laugh, got a job in a bar in Koh Samui, fantastic. And I woke up one day, looked in the mirror, realised I was 30, hanging out with people 10 years younger than me. So I came back, most of my mates have sort of moved on, uh, felt like I'd missed the boat, you know. At which point I decided to become a teacher. <laughs> Quite bright, but lazy. Need a safety net. Be a teacher. So the needing a safety net. Now that's something that you address in your chapter about the Teach First project. Mm. Um, this idea that much as I mean, I, I've met teachers who come through that program and 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 it was outstanding. But mm. you do hit the nail on the head, I think, with this idea that the problem's in the name. This idea that you teach and then you move on to something more more important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak too ill of Teach First because again, I, I work with several of my colleagues at uh, ex Teach First uh, and are fantastic teachers. And I think actually Teach First has done a lot of good. Again, if you mm. look at um, look at sort of the, the list of graduate schemes, what's the only one you, you see that's got teaching in it? It's Teach First. So yeah. actually, I think Teach First is kind of in the certainly it's uh, moving in the right direction and it's kind of it's motivated by the right things. But the problem is, as you say, in the name Teach First then go and do a proper job uh, is, is the implication, isn't it? Um, in the real world. Exactly. In, yeah, in, in the real world, exactly. Um, and, and what is that saying about teaching? It's saying, okay, you do teaching as a kind of charitable endeavour. It's kind of your, uh, your, your sort of gap year where you're, you're off in wherever doing, doing something good for, for your soul. Uh, and then you actually go and do something sort of worthwhile. Then you go and earn some money. Uh, then you do something that people will look at and sort of uh, and grant the sort of kudos that, that you want. Um, and if you, if it were just called teach or teach now or or, or whatever, um, that would just be sending such a different message that actually no teaching itself is a, is an end that is worth um, good graduates going into. Um, so as I say, it's kind of a mixed blessing really. Teach first, it's done a lot of good, 
But that for as long as that brand, that name is out there and it's sort of uh, gracing careers fairs at universities across the country, uh, mm -hmm. it is sending a subliminal message to graduates that teaching isn't good enough. Um, and that's a problem. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've got mixed feelings about it for all sorts of reasons. But part of me does wonder. So um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was looking at people who enter teaching later mm. uh, and talking to Katie Waldegrave, who's mm. from an organisation called uh, Now Teach. Now isn't Teach, it? isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, get, get mixed up with the teacher. The, yes. the, these two, two word snappy uh, uh, names. And one of the points she was making is the idea that we all now live so much longer and mm. that this idea that you enter one profession for life is actually quite outdated. So I yep. wonder, are, are Teach First not simply making that point, that you don't have to sign up for life? Well, no, I, I would completely agree with that. And I, I don't think we should be binding people into a 40, 50 year career in, in, in teaching. Um, as you say, people are working for longer and, and what's, yeah, it, teaching can learn from other professions and other professions can learn from ex-teachers going into it. I think the problem with Teach First though, uh, is that it's not saying work as a teacher for 10, 15, 20 years, then go and do something else. It's saying work as a teacher for a couple of years, then clear off, um, mm. which is a different message. No, I, I think you're completely right, Emma. I think actually, um, again, it's this, this, this image problem that teaching sometimes has, which is self-imposed, that, that we are slightly sort of sanctimonious and we slightly sort of look down upon other professions because they aren't, they aren't sort of uh, the same as teaching. Uh, and therefore, if you go off and do something else, you're kind of, uh, you're outside the herd. Um, that's not that's not a good look either and we shouldn't be averse to saying yeah great go and do something else and then potentially come back to teaching um, but nonetheless just kind of saying training as a teacher and then going off that isn't great either mm, yeah so so it's about your point is it's the messaging was like you say the sort of gap year exactly. messaging of do it do it for a very short burst and then and I guess again it perpetuates that idea of of teaching being so completely exhausting that it's something you dedicate yourself to to for a year or two and then move mm. on to something mm. that's more sustainable yeah and it also kind of undermines the the bonds that we form as teachers with our pupils and indeed with our colleagues as well and actually uh, it's as though you, it's this kind of thing you just drop into and then leave when actually as you and i both know and i'm sure many other teachers listening that um when you're in a school and you invest uh, for so many hours a week into these young people actually suddenly sort of parachuting yourself out again isn't isn't just as easy as that actually um, no. because we have got a kind of a, an, an emotional connection uh, with the people we work with and with the pupils we teach um, and actually just kind of dropping everything and leaving kind of undermines that that factor of, of the profession as well I think yeah what and whatever year you you go you leave behind six groups that you yeah. won't see through to their their next year it's it's incredibly yeah. hard um, yeah. yeah I think I think that's true so um another image problem that teaching has relates to how we're seen and I think again it's it's it it comes from the bad old days where perhaps I would say per capita there was there were there was there were a, a greater number of weaker teachers shall mm. we say um, obviously, there were always good teachers, but I think there were a, a lot of us were allowed to um, maybe be less than outstanding. Um, and again, I think that comes through in in the the comedy sketches 
uh, and it also comes through actually in in a rap that I'm going to play as well. Um, but this is my final clip from Armstrong and Miller, which I called the dullard. I just felt so ignored. You know, I'd start a sentence and people would would just talk right over me. I mean, you know, I've got opinions, things to say. <laughs> you know, it's just no one was listening. So I thought, right, I'll become a teacher. Being a teacher, at least 30 kids have to listen to you. It's the law. <laughs> so there we've got this idea that people go into teaching because they're so boring <laughs> that they just want to drone on at kids all day. <laughs> yes, it's good then. <laughs> yeah. If only 30 kids listen to me uh, do everything I said, I think it's the first thing. Well, I, I know, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can't yeah. guarantee they're going to be listening to you. No, exactly, exactly. Um, and and he, again, I suppose this this builds back into the idea that that a lot of people's views of teaching now uh, are quite outdated, um, actually. And uh, I, I'm not saying there aren't boring teachers uh, now. Heaven forfend that I might even be boring myself from from time to time. Hey, I, I give it a pretty good go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but as you say, actually, a lot of people's um, ideas about teaching were informed by their experiences in whenever the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. Um, and actually, particularly if you don't have kids or your kids have left school, um, you don't recognise or you're not aware that teaching has kind of moved on from where it was. And that actually, as you say, teaching is, is kind of just different now uh, and, um, and is more professional and teachers kind of are equipped in many ways with better tools um, than they were before. Um, and that therefore the experience of the modern child isn't necessarily the same as it was before. But a lot of people who kind of don't sort of direct the, the, the narrative about teaching and education in the media in particular aren't necessarily aware of that. Um, mm. Yeah, I think that's very true. But I think it is going to remain the problem, isn't it? Where yeah. I would see teaching as something that people have a lot of emotional baggage about because mm. of their own experiences yeah. at school. Yeah. And especially if those experiences are varied or overwhelmingly negative they carry that baggage with them and of course we have this problem with parents as well the way parents build a relationship with their children's school mm. is absolutely shaped by their own emotional relationship with school yeah yeah completely and as you say that that always will be the case um and that is a, a kind of not necessarily unique but it's it's certainly a particular problem that teaching has that other professions don't. Um, uh, and and, and it, if, you, if you have had uh, a really negative experience at school, then, I mean, in many cases, it's probably unlikely you're ever going to be converted um, to, 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 to look back at, at teaching or look, to look differently at teaching. Um, and I suppose, therefore, what we have to hope is that, uh, that fewer people have negative experiences of schools um, uh, because that, yeah. I mean, what what can you do about that, really? Yeah, I I, I, I feel hopeful about that in the sense that yeah. I do think as teaching becomes more and more and more of a profession, um, that more and more children and their parents should have a positive experience of it. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. hopefully that gradually will start to feed into into the next generation and we'll, we'll get fewer, well, fewer uh, like Robbie Williams, who I don't know uh, if you are... Uh, you've heard this uh, particular piece of his, but I think he wrote it um, and it reflects, I remember um, hearing him interviewed and he he gained terrible GCSE results 
And I think he got his place in Take That, he heard the day after. So here he was, this, you know, 16-year-old boy with a string of diabolical results, mm. uh, failed in school. And then the next thing you know, he's, you know, rocketed into, into stardom. And of course, his experiences of school were very negative. So he, that comes across in his work and the way he talks about teachers and it's not good. So brace yourself. Mm. I've had to cut him off because he starts swearing at the end. But, uh, <laughs> but this is this is as much as, as we're allowed to play on Teachers Talk Radio. Here we go. Hello, sir. Remember me? I'm the man you thought I'd never be. The boy who you reduced to tears. The lad called Thingy for six whole years. Yeah, that's right. My name's Bob, the one who landed the pop star's job. The one who you told Luke don't touch the kid who wouldn't amount to much. Well, I'm here. You're still there, with your fake sports car and receding hair. Dodgy farrer trousers that you think are smart, married to the woman that teaches art, married to the life, married to the school. I want to sing a dancer. Now, who's the fool? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? I think there's a lot there. I, I listened to it several times. I thought there's so many of the things that that you talk about in the book, that idea of being stuck, you're still there. Mm. And that view that that people have that if you if you're a teacher, you've somehow never moved on. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I mean, well, clearly, sort of experiences like that, we shouldn't underplay them at the same time. And I think as well, this is something teaching needs to get better at. We need to be better at trumpeting actually all the positive experiences that, that, that famous people as well have had of school. Um, mm. And that for every Robbie Williams, there's also an Ian Wright or a James Dyson, or um, actually throughout the book, we start each chapter of the book with a quotation from uh, a quote-unquote famous person uh, whose life has been in some way changed by a teacher. And here's one just for you. The first chapter um, starts with a quotation, as I say, from James Dyson. He says, he was an inspirational teacher. He was the first teacher to really enthuse me. He really changed the direction of my life. Um, And we go through the book sort of highlighting little quotations like that, um, and t- again, there are, there are so many people out there who have had a positive experience of school, um, mm. but we need to do better at kind of using those to, to the profession's advantage. We, we dedicate in, in the book, uh, the first part of one of the chapters to um, Arsenal footballer, former England footballer, Ian Wright, mm. um, whose life was turned around by one of his primary school teachers. And there's an incredibly moving uh, clip on YouTube of him reuniting with this, this primary teacher um, several years later. Um, yes. And, oh, absolutely. I'd love to play that, but unfortunately, it's very visual, isn't it? He, it is because he go, he becomes completely speechless, and yeah, and it, and it's the, he very quickly takes his hat off because he suddenly yes. remembers. Well, I must be respectful, and it, yeah. it's it's. I mean, I, I you'd have to have a heart of stone mm. not to be moved by it. And I love Ian Wright anyway. I just I, I think he's absolutely wonderful. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah. It's it's an if you if you haven't seen the clip, look it up because it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, those sort of testimonies, uh, well, they testify to how good, how the, the, the positive role that a teacher can play. Um, and, and they are there for us to use in a way to, to, to shout about what we do. Um, and as I say, for every Robbie Williams, there's an Ian Wright. Um, and we shouldn't forget that as well. Mm, I totally agree. Although, of course, the problem is that so many of those examples, and you do, you do say this in the book, mm is, I mean, that that teacher basically parented Ian Wright. Mm. You know, he went 
above and beyond mm. and again we've got that tension between trying to say to people it's not it's not a vocation you don't have to you know sell your soul mm. um it's a profession but on the other hand our most positive and moving stories are actually about the people who go above and beyond so do you do you think there's a tension there well there is but at the same time the two things aren't mutually exclusive and actually um teaching children knowledge is itself doing them a great sort of social service. Um, and, yes. and actually that is one of the most powerful things we do as teachers. You're, we, we aren't social workers. I mean, that, that's not our job. Now, clearly we, we do a lot of pastoral stuff every day uh, as form tutors, as um, DSLs, as uh, in all the different roles there are across the schools, wellbeing officers, uh, heads of year, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that is an important part of, of modern teaching. But actually our primary function as teachers is to teach children knowledge, um, to, to, to help them to leave school knowing more than they knew when they started school. And that itself is an incredible gift and in, an incredible privilege, really, uh, for the teacher. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that, that that itself is doing a service um, that kind of far outweighs uh, many, many other things that will happen to, in, in a child's life. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yet yeah, you're right, there is, there is a tension, undeniably there's a tension there. Um, and and we shouldn't kind of overemphasize the the kind of the social the social role uh, of the teacher in when we're selling it because it does undoubtedly put a lot of people off while mm. at the same time attracting others. Um, but that's not to say that we shouldn't say that as a teacher you're going to change lives. You you might be doing it through that sort of social the pastoral side, but actually you are also doing it just through your everyday work of teaching your children your subject or uh, in primary teaching your, your class uh, over the course of a year that itself um, is is already quite quite an undertaking and quite an achievement mm. oh I, I totally agree and again I think that's something that we have shifted towards is 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 re almost re-embracing the fact that as a profession our job is to impart knowledge that yeah. that is what we do and I do you feel that to some extent we lost sight of that for a while mm. um, and that generally the even the public focus, I mean, if you look at how how um, schools and teachers were portrayed on the media during the pandemic, mm. um, it was all about, you know, the, again, the going and above and beyond and the delivering of the free school meals and all of it. You think, yeah. well, hang on a second. You know, <laughs> my experience of it was being strapped to my laptop, solidly creating the best quality teaching experience I could for my students and that was it, it was long hours and it was stressful and it was important yeah yeah exactly and, and again I referring back to something I said earlier it's kind of how much do we value education actually uh, as, mm. as a society what 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 um, what value do we give to knowledge and to to the study of of our subjects um do we value them enough and that's perhaps a bigger question really that goes above just simply how do we view the teacher do we respect knowledge enough as a society and i think as you say the pendulum within schools is starting to swing back actually in um, sort of the knowledge rich movement and um, the sort of direct pedagogy and all that sort of stuff that's that started to, to develop again over the last sort of couple of decades um that that itself is is sort of starting to have a ripple effect i think but as ever it will take longer for it to permeate through into wider society yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad I've, I've stuck with a profession long enough to see that mm. that quiet revolution happening um, mm. because it's been very exciting. Yeah. And I, I'm sure it will gradually start to filter through 
yeah. um, to the wider yeah. perception of teaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And perhaps it will just take, I mean, I hope it happens soon in this, but perhaps it will just take the sort of current cohort of, of pupils who are in school at the moment to themselves uh, graduate and have their own families for that, that, that movement to finally start to move through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will start uh, discussing some of your ideas for solutions, which I love. Um, but I'm going to play the news and we'll hear from our sponsors. Um, so after that, Harry, we'll, we'll look at your solutions, if that's OK. Great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. report in the Evening Standard covers the news that Eton College will open state six forms in towns in the north of England and the Midlands. The schools will be opened in Dudley, Middlesbrough and Oldham and will help students to get into Oxbridge and other top universities. The three areas are included in the list of 55 education cold spots that have been targeted for additional support by the government's levelling up agenda. It comes as part of a partnership with Star Academies. 
higher achieving pupils at GCSE who are from poorer backgrounds will be encouraged to gain top A-level grades. Eton will bid in the next wave of the government's free schools programme, with colleges expected to welcome their first pupils in 2025. In the Gambia, UK-based charity Binti Period revealed its plans to introduce menstrual pads into the Gambia so that all girls have access. The charity believes that this would further ensure that girls do not drop out of school during puberty. In a meeting with the First Lady of Gambia, the charity also explained how it had embarked on a programme to train 100 teachers in the Gambia on menstrual education. The objective is to smash the stigma and shame attached to menstruation, but the training also covered other issues including polygamy, FGM and sexual grooming. Online lessons are to be made available to 100,000 refugee pupils, said Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi. He was speaking at the Association of School and College Leaders annual conference in Birmingham. He stated, we are working with the schools to ensure that the tens of thousands of Ukrainian children we will welcome to our shores will have a place in our education system. The lessons will be made available through Oak National Academy via an auto-translate function available in both Ukrainian and Russian. Matt Hood, principal of Oak National Academy said, the work we have done to make Oak's lessons available in Ukrainian is only a tiny contribution to this crisis, but it is a tool that may help them re-establish some sort of routine once they reach safety. Finally, this week saw the annual recognition of International Women's Day, but a story in Schools Week reports that many colleges have had to defend themselves after a Twitter bot called them out for hypocrisy. Organisations across the UK came under fire after the gender pay gap bot retweeted their posts honouring the day with details added about their figures on women's median hourly pay compared to men's. Numerous colleges fell victim with some deleting their original posts. In response, some colleges have said that context should be considered. For example, Furness College in Cumbria, where women's median hourly pay is 32.4% lower than men's hourly rate, told FE Week that their gap was high because a large number of female staff are in lower skills jobs. The Fawcett Society campaigns to close the gender pay gap and agrees that the divided labour market, where women are still more likely to be in low-paid and low-skilled jobs, is a reason for the gap, but says that inequalities and discrimination in the labour market must be reduced if things are to improve. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk timers. After being challenged to make a timer with shapes in PowerPoint, I thought I'd throw out a quick tip for the most common presentation software used in teaching, Microsoft PowerPoint and Google Slides. The easiest way to add a timer is embedding a YouTube timer video. In Google Slides, it's easy. Simply click on the insert menu and select video. You'll then be given the option to search YouTube. If you didn't know already, YouTube is full of timer videos. So type in the timer you want, for example, five minute timer, and you'll be given a list of videos to choose from. Select the one you want and it will embed. Finally, use the video format options to determine whether you want it to play on a click, start automatically or manually. Job done. You can also do this in PowerPoint, but you'll need to search YouTube first to find your video as you'll need the video's URL. If you're not a geek, that's the big long www address. Now you've got the address, select insert video and online video. Paste in the address and it will embed. 
Again, you can decide how it plays back in the playback menu. For both these methods, you need to be connected to the internet for them to work, but usually you will be. For this week's visual version, I'll retweet my example of the shape timer from last week and add a short tutorial demonstrating the methods I've just described. So don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams. Hello, you're listening live to Teachers Talk Radio, and I'm here with Harry Hampton, co-author of Must Do Better, How to Improve the Image of Teaching and Why It Matters. So we've plumbed the depths of just how poor uh, teaching's image can be in some quarters, but we're now going to focus on the solutions, and even... Could we have a logo? Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So Harry, one of the things that you address towards the end of your book where you're looking at solutions is about teachers speaking out, which of course we're doing right now, which mm -hmm. is exciting. You do address the thorny issue of unions and the mm -hmm. fact that they remain unquestionably the voice of teaching. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you. I I have a problem with it. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of two things really here. Firstly, I think it's just partly a function of the role of the unions. Now, the unions are there, obviously, to, to speak out when things go badly or when things are, are, not, uh, are not aligning with, with what they think should be happening. Um, and therefore, they nearly always, when you hear them, are complaining about something. And, and that's, not, that's not necessarily their fault, exactly, because that's kind of their job. Yeah. Um, but what it does mean is that whenever you have a representative from a union on... I don't know, uh, Times Radio, uh, Times Radio Breakfast or the Today programme or, or whatever, 10 o'clock news or whatever. Um, it's a teacher complaining. So most people, therefore, think of teachers uh, and they think of teachers complaining about something. Um, yeah. And that's, that is partly just because there isn't an alternative kind of organ that teachers can speak through to the wider public other than the unions. Um, there's obviously then, so that's the first thing. The second thing is then the particular stance that the unions take, um, which uh, is obviously more controversial and uh, I, some teachers would say is excessively negative at times. Um, but I think the, the real issue actually is, is the first, that, actually, that we need another way. So when the producers of these, these shows or um, the, the education editors at, broad, at the broadsheets are looking for a comment from the teaching profession, they don't necessarily have to go to the unions, uh, they can go somewhere else. Um, and I think that is, that's something that might perhaps help to, uh, to endear the wider public, perhaps to teachers slightly more. Um, were they not to associate us quite so much with negativity, which which I think has become increasingly apparent actually over the last couple of years um, in particular. Because mm, um, you do, you quote uh, Mary Boosted um, expressing her distaste 
with the fact that uh, schools were reopening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and make the point that a lot of us vehemently disagreed with her stance. Yeah. Were desperate to get back into school. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and I think I, I certainly find it particularly frustrating when the way it's portrayed in the press is teachers say or yep. teachers feel or teachers think, well, hang on a second, I'm not even a member of that union. Yeah, exactly. So that's not what I think, say or feel. Exactly. And and yeah, I suppose it was particularly brought home during during COVID when now obviously the unions had a role in stand in kind of looking for teachers' uh, well-being and, and looking after teachers' sort of safety. But at the same time, there was no kind of sense that actually teachers would rather be in school. Uh, mm. We would rather be teaching our pupils than uh, not, or than teaching them online at home, which again is what, what as you say, what most of us were doing. Um, but but the, the, it was just a kind of solid wall of negativity coming mainly from the unions, which could have just been tempered perhaps at times by saying, um, we would really like to be in school, but we don't think it's right at the moment or whatever, which wasn't always the message that came out. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was statements being made in the name of teachers, quote unquote, when a lot of teachers were looking at it and going, hang on, <laughs> that doesn't represent me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly think that is, is something that needs addressing. Now, I think my my favourite of your suggestions is our need for a logo. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll, I'm, when I first started reading it, I'll, I'll admit to thinking, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and you, you, you have received some criticism in, in a couple of reviews I've read. Mm. But actually, you won me over because I hadn't even thought about the fact that both the NHS and the armed forces have a visual representation, a logo that everybody recognises, was thought about, is a trusted brand. And it, it honestly hadn't occurred to me. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people people might see that kind of call for a logo and think, oh, just kind of, that's just more bureaucracy. It's kind of more sort of centralisation. What's that going to help? But actually, when you, when you look at the NHS, everyone can picture the NHS logo. Um, mm. Uh, and it has a certain sort of um, a sort of credibility, um, which which uh, benefits the benefits doctors, benefits nurses, benefits the whole NHS. When if you then compare that to teaching, you have individual schools which are very good at branding themselves. You have individual training providers which are very good at branding themselves. But then when you think of teaching as a, a kind of national endeavour, and ultimately we're all at different schools, we're, we might have trained through different providers, but we're all kind of engaged upon the same process we've all got the same goal in mind um, we're all teachers but there's no kind of there's no there's no logo for teaching um, as a as a national endeavor um, and perhaps yeah. there should be perhaps if there were and I'm not I'm not an, I'm not a marketing uh, expert so I, I'm perhaps not the person to do it but if there were some sort of brand would that not help perhaps to give teaching as a profession greater street cred and again that's something that teach first to go back to teach first have done well is that they have identified a brand and they've got obviously the branding consultants in and they've got their own brand they've got their own lettering and they're very good at doing that but that's just for teach first so that is kind of a credibility that comes with becoming a teach first teacher rather than a teacher um, and actually if we were to develop equivalent sort of brand for teaching full stop would that not help at least to raise our status and to raise it in a way which emphasizes again the kind of the professionalism of 21st century teaching mm. yeah I, I must admit I, I you had converted me to the 
possibility of the idea by the, mm. by the time you, you finish it. <laughs> and it really was the fact that, because I think you, you start by talking about, think about the big brands like, you know, Apple. Or, and I thought, oh, yeah, but, but mm. what's that got to do with, mm. with, with a profession like teaching? But, but yeah, actually, those methodologies have been applied in, in those other public sector areas, which yeah. also perhaps have an image problem. I mean, the armed forces needs to be careful to make sure uh, it doesn't come across as well. Let's sign your sons up to to die mm. or your daughters up to die. It, they, mm. They've got to. Oh no! Well, there's other. You know, there's other avenues. It enriches your life. It's exciting. Mm. You, you learn new skills. You know, they they. You can tell from their advertising that they felt they had an image problem that mm. that needed to be addressed in order to recruit. Mm. Well, I think the armed forces are a particularly interesting comparison, actually, because. Uh, you've got a kind of similar setup in that you've got the British Army, but then within the Army or, or the Navy or the Air Force, but within the Army, you've got uh, lots of different regiments. Now, each of those regiments have their own kind of regimental mascot, their own logo, but nonetheless, they all form part of the, the greater entity that is the Army. And we're kind of in a similar setup, really, in, in schools. You've got lots of different individual schools, but we are all kind of pulling in the same direction. Um, and just as there is kind of rivalry between rev uh, regiments in the army, so too there is there is kind of rivalry between different schools, and that's like a, a healthy rivalry that kind of pushes forward progress. So yeah. if if the army can have its its own branding, why can't schools? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really good proposal. So um, so we need to put the challenge out there, really, don't we? Yes, um, yes, but, exactly. Who's uh, who's going to design the logo? Having just re recovered from catching up with the apprentice. Um, latest episode um I, I think how difficult it is to create a decent logo is very much on my mind um yes. because you can get it very wrong yes um, yeah no true and perhaps <laughs> perhaps no logo is better than a bad logo but um, yeah, that's true but um, yeah. I, I don't know some reason not to try <laughs> <laughs> so some of your uh you you look at what you call elephants in the classroom mm. um and Part of what you're talking about is is the undeniable fact that private schools get better results um, and they spend more per head on the education of the children that, that go to those schools. Mm. Um, but you you're, what you look at is, well, what could we learn from them rather than you know, getting into mm. politicised arguments, which I think is probably wise. Mm. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really interesting, your idea of... of of merging Ofsted and the ISI. Yeah, and again, and Roy, um, co-author, has, has done a lot of work both in the state sector and um, visiting independent schools as well. And he uh, kind of used his, his kind of his wealth of experience really that he's built up over over several decades. And he particularly strong on this idea that actually um, we should be learning we should be learning from each other, independent schools and, and state schools, and that while there is that kind of antagonism there, um, it, it's not particularly helpful. Um, it's yeah. not particularly helpful for schools for that antagonism just to kind of sit there. And actually we should be, for as long as private schools exist, um, and there isn't any sort of indication that that isn't going to be the case anytime soon, we should be, we should be doing better at collaborating. Um, they can learn from us, frankly, uh, and some of the, the excellent teaching that goes on in state schools, um, often in more challenging circumstances. But actually, we as well as in state schools can learn from the private sector. Uh, and I don't think there's be kind of any chippiness really about that. And that the elements of good practice 
can work both ways. Um, uh, and yeah, one one of the proposals, as you say, is 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 merging the inspectorates and and uh, potentially that helping that process of greater integration between the two. Mm, I think that's a really interesting idea, um, and I'm also intrigued by your point about key stages that that the private sector. And I think you're right when I, when I think about people that I know in in the private sector don't don't see education as carved up into those chunks and Mm. and i and i wonder if you're right that we fail to see because although we label there was a big shift wasn't there of starting to label education from year one to year 13 so that Mm. we see it as a as a continuum but Mm. actually by then carving it up into key stages you undermine the whole philosophy yeah exactly and actually i think there's perhaps an interesting move already sort of heading in that direction um, in the in the sort of all through schools that are, that are increased becoming increasingly popular, where you have the the primary school and the secondary school as part of the, the same school, um, and I suppose chunking up chunking up education into those discrete chunks of key stages isn't. I mean, there isn't kind of any particular rhyme or reason as to why we do that, um, and I think as a history teacher, I think that uh, I start teaching pupils at secondary school in year seven, and the sorts of skills I want them to be able to do by year thirteen aren't just skills that I'm going to teach them in the sixth form. Actually, it's kind of a whole, th- an all through process. And I want to start teaching the pupil in, in year seven with a view to what they'll be like in year 13. And perhaps uh, sort of removing these artificial barriers would help a sort of a greater, sort of more holistic view of the curriculum and, and of teaching learning more broadly, actually. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, help, help that process. And I wonder if, I mean, I've never worked in, in a place like this, but I know people who have, some independent schools that, that on the same site have mm. from reception right through to sixth form. Yeah. And, and and I wonder if that helps with teachers seeing it as a as a continuum and that each stage matters. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I think as well, there's a lot that um, you and I are both secondary teachers, but there's a lot that actually we could learn from knowing more about primary uh, and Mm. vice versa. Um, And Mm. I think that is something, uh, something that we still a lot of work needs to be done on actually viewing teachers as uh, as as teachers, whether they work in primary or secondary, and actually um, encouraging greater collaboration between the two. Um, primary knowing where what pupils are going to be doing once they've left and secondary having a greater understanding of the sort of the sort of education the sort of teaching that that um, pupils have had when they start in year seven and yes as you say and I haven't worked in that sort of school either actually but but perhaps that sort of approach uh, will help with that and will kind of help to encourage thinking along those lines uh, in the sorts of schools where that isn't the case yes I completely agree and, it, and it's been really brought home to me shifting to an 11 to 16 comprehensive mm. so my first job was was in a grammar school with a, a large sixth form mm. and then making that shift to uh, it's just a Surrey thing you know the schools mm. around here all st- other than a few um a few which are mainly catholic schools they tend to stop at 16 and all the kids go to college and it's just that's just how it works mm. and i found it quite shocking if i'm brutally honest mm. how scant uh, our staff's knowledge was of a level mm. and and what the students were going to go on to and mm. and frankly their lack of interest <laughs> in what they were then going on to not just i mean they were vaguely interested in oh you're going on to study my subject great 
Mm. But they weren't seeing that continuum because, of course, a lot of them had never taught A-level mm. and they just didn't. And, and to me, I thought, and, and then that made me reflect on myself and think, yeah, I've got the same thing about primary. I've got mm. no idea or interest in what goes on. And that's far from ideal. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I suppose if we sort of think back about the image, it's it's again speaking to this sort of professionalism, the idea of professionalism, really, and uh, and a greater awareness of that sort of thing, and, and sort of greater sharpness, perhaps, about what it's like elsewhere in, in the profession, will help mm. with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it is really important, and and we all, and I think actually things like Edu Twitter and Teachers Talk Radio have have been really helpful because it has. Mm meant there's been a lot more crossover of primary and secondary school teachers frankly talking to each other and listening to each other which I yep. really don't think went on at all no previously. agreed yeah. yeah yeah so um another thing that you explore because you've got a series of what you call radical suggestions mm-hmm. um is the idea of people basically being given a break um taking a sabbatical um and you, you've got one really interesting case study of a head teacher of an urban primary school um, who every six years takes a, a term off. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really interesting. This. And again, this is something that Roy is particularly hot on actually, that as careers get longer, something we talked about earlier, um, is it, is it really feasible for, for, for teachers to work solidly through uh, all, all that time? And actually mm. something that has been, as you say, that has been particularly effective in, in a number of case studies that, that we look at in the book, is having a, a, a sort of a, a sabbatical. Um, and again, it happens in other professions. So why shouldn't it happen in teaching? Um, having a, um, a time either to, to, to go into another, to go into to another profession completely for a while before coming back or to doing some, uh, some research or some writing or, or something just completely different, whatever. Having a break, recharging the batteries and then coming back. Um, and I mean, sh- should, that, should that really be out of, out of the question? Well, I, I don't think so. Actually. I think, again, it's this idea that you know, if you're a teacher, you must be a teacher and kind of anything else is anathema. Uh, well, no, um, actually, we can learn from elsewhere. And there, there are times in careers when actually you just need a break. And that shouldn't mean that you're completely cut off from teaching forever. Um, but it allows you to come back kind of reinvigorated and refreshed and, and ready to go again. Mm, and actually, one of the things that, that caught my attention, particularly when you were discussing this, is you make the point that this is standard practice in higher education. Yeah. And of course, that, that I then thought, oh, well, hang on. Yeah. So because I thought back to my time in academia. I thought, oh, yes. I mean, literally every academic was queuing up <laughs> for sabbatical um, yes. because obviously their research was very important to them and, and teaching was almost... Yeah. Of, of secondary importance but it really made me think well ha- is that a model we should be moving towards more this idea mm. that teachers should be more research informed we should be involved with research and actually shouldn't part of one of the options be to take a sabbatical to do a bit of research a bit of reading a bit of self-informing away from the classroom and then bringing that knowledge back with you just like academics do in higher education yeah no, exactly. Completely agree. And and actually, uh, and that goes to a slightly broader point we make in the book that that professional development needs to be uh, built more into into the into the kind of the the annual the, the contract of a teacher anyway. Actually, and whether that's through a sabbatical um, or whether it's actually just through more timetable days um, 
in, in the academic year for continuous professional development, uh, it needs to be given greater status because if we want to be viewed as a profession, we need to train like professionals train. Uh, and professionals uh, in other professions are constantly updating their training. They're constantly uh, renewing their, uh, their licenses or, or constantly looking to improve. And we should be, and obviously we've got inset days and, and that is becoming a, a bigger thing. And lots of schools have a dedicated time every week when they do CPD. I know at my school, we have a Friday morning uh, breakfast CPD every week, um, which, is, which is great. And that, that is becoming increasingly common. Um, but it, it, it needs to be more widespread, I think, that, that we, we build CPD more into, the, in, into kind of the teacher's role. And of course, <laughs> with that, we need more time to do that. And more time needs more teachers, obviously, to be able to cover the cover the cover the class of teachers on teaching. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sort of chicken and egg. Where do you start? But but I think building more CPD will again help with the image and help encourage more people into the profession. Mm. Yes, I think I think our relationship with CPD is something again that I've seen change in the twenty one years I've been teaching. Mm. Um, I mean, believe you me, I've sat through some absolute nonsense um, yeah. and I've done shows about the kind of nonsense that I sat through. And again, it's what, what I call a, a quiet revolution of, of gradually. And I think that it's happened through things like edgy Twitter with teachers being able to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and go well hang on this is it no it's not just me is it this really is nonsense yeah. uh, and everyone going yeah it really is <laughs> yes. um, and and whereas now I would say the CPD that I currently have in my school is very high quality yeah and all of it done internally by people who are who are reading up on what they should be reading up on yeah. whereas say five to ten years ago in the same school you know I've sat through some seriously terrible stuff many of it delivered by outsiders who and goodness knows what we paid them mm. um to give us ill-informed useless nonsense yeah 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 well I suppose yeah it's, if you want to train well you've got to have good training haven't you so um, yes yeah yeah, no, it's it's true, and 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 as kind of the evidence base increases, hopefully that training will only get better as well. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, it, it's fantastic that that teachers in the profession are talking to each other about CPD. We've you know we've got hosts on Teach Talk Radio that that's their real passion, their real interest, um, and I think our relationship with it therefore is changing. I think certainly previously we all viewed Inset Day as oh well, it's day off from the kids. I mean, yeah. it is a day off from the kids. Let's be yeah. honest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you get to wear your jeans, <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> so that that's all still good. Um, but I think that we're actually learning stuff now. Whereas, frankly, a lot of the time previously, you'd be sitting there thinking, "I could be rearranging my classroom right now," yeah. um, rather than listening to this. Uh, where so it's really, really good to see the quality of that go up. Yeah, uh, and and the fact that you come out of a lot of the uh, training now feeling as you should, which is invigorated, given some new ideas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's shocking I mean, it's taken so long, really, though, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. And particularly bizarre, actually, in teaching. I mean, because what are we doing? We're teaching kids all day, every day. But then when we teach each other, suddenly uh, it goes goes out the window. Or it used to go out the window. Sort of all Indeed. the principles we would apply in the classroom. When it comes to teaching your colleagues, uh, suddenly it turns into, into a bore fest. But... 
But hopefully, actually, the, the, the principles we apply to, to teaching kids as they improve will also apply to how we, we train each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that um, I forgot to ask you about earlier that you you addressed towards the start of the book is is, is the uh, the thorny question of salary. Mm. Um, and again, that mm. teaching has this impression from the outside that it's it's not uh, you don't get a good graduate salary and that it's not particularly well paid. And you sort of you put pay to that. Yeah, and again, a lot. The first thing that a lot, of, I suppose, what we try and do in the book is now. This isn't say that this isn't a total myth, but actually, for a teacher starting a profession, uh, a, a starting teacher now, the salary is comparable to, and indeed, in many instances, better than a lot of other graduate schemes. So uh, it's a lot of work has been done at the bottom of the pay scale to, to mm. increase it for, for starting teachers. Uh, and that's, that means that teaching is now on a par with, a lot, with, as I say, a lot of the sort of Times top 100 grad schemes, particularly when you take into account the holiday and the pension yes. as well, um, which is something that uh, basically hardly any other profession can, can shout about to the same extent. I mean, teacher's holiday should be something that attracts people to the profession. Mm. Um, but it isn't uh, because, again, it has this sort of stigma attached to it that, uh, oh, you're a bunch of slackers or it's, it's something slightly to be ashamed of. Um, yeah. the, the holiday. Oh, you're off on holiday again. Um, <laughs> well, I, I suppose the answer to that is, well, if the holidays are so good, why don't you become a teacher? Um, well, that's what I always say. I, 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 I do. <laughs> that's yeah. basically my standard answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I suppose it, we, it speaks to, to, to an attitude of not really understanding what it's like to be a teacher or more to the point a pupil and that actually after six or seven weeks uh, of of constant um, school you need a break um, not only to, to so that you can sort of recharge the batteries but actually you need a break from each other's company as well for a bit um, mm. and uh, so but back to the point about pay um, when you stack up the, the pay of, a, of a, a, a teacher starting out alongside the pension alongside the holiday actually it's a pretty good deal that said, there is still work to be done higher up the pay scale, um, undoubtedly. Yes. And while yes. there has been good development in, in pay at the bottom, it's stagnated at the top. And higher up, the, particularly the main, the main pay scale, there just hasn't been uh, enough progress, bluntly. Um, and again, it comes back to this idea of how much as a society do we value education? Well, you, you pay for what you value, really, don't you? And if we really are serious about how much we value education, we need to... Uh, we need to think again about teachers' salaries um, to keep teachers as well as to attract teachers, actually. And I thought a really interesting point was made by um, a Times journalist who, who featured the book in one of her comment pieces in the Times um, a few weeks ago. And she said, um, well, if you compare the investment that has been put into teaching or into education and that has been put into uh, healthcare, it's just not it's not comparable now clearly obviously healthcare's got its own its own funding issues but the scale of disparity between education and, and healthcare is is shocking it's vast it's absolutely vast and the sort of money we'd be talking about to increase teachers pay not even by that much um is is, is kind of peanuts compared to the sort of money that's been put in, into into healthcare and that's not to say that money shouldn't be put into healthcare obviously but what it's saying is that actually 
not that much money in the grand scheme of things could make a massive difference to both retaining good teachers and to, to encouraging uh, others to consider the profession in the first place. Mm, and and the, just the harsh reality of attracting um, high quality candidates. I mean, it's something again that you do you do talk about in the book is this sort of prettiness or or, or as you say um, virtue of, of of being a teacher that it's it's a vocation that you dedicate yeah. yourself to and along with that comes the fact that you don't do it for the money you think yeah, why yeah, not yeah. blimmin second none of us would be working if it weren't for the fact that we needed to earn a salary let's yeah. be honest yeah so we all just need to grow up about that a little bit don't we completely yeah completely and i mean yeah and what's wrong with wanting to earn some money i mean wanting yeah. to earn wanting to earn a decent salary and wanting to be a teacher shouldn't be too statements that that can't coexist um indeed. frankly yeah indeed and and as you say if we're going to be seen as a profession and see ourselves as a profession mm. well with that comes a professional salary yeah. so yeah it, it is something that we should be be discussing talking about presenting it honestly but also mm. highlighting the places where you think yeah you know what you're not going to retain and i think if i think about where things can be the toughest which is i think the level just above me you know, yeah. your assistant head, that, uh, God, they have it tough. Yeah. And frankly, I don't know why they do it for the, for the pay that they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, the only thing about pay is I think it's a difficult one for us as teachers to talk about because as soon as, as, soon as we start saying we want more money, uh, the cry goes up, teachers are calling for more money again. Um, which is yeah, never for their really... third of the year off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which it just goes and sort of reinforces a lot of the other problems that we've already talked about. Um, Indeed. So yeah. it, it's it's a tricky one for us because we can't shout too loudly because uh, we get shouted down. Um, and and you can see from other people's perspectives, uh, it's annoying to have people who are constantly on holiday, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> asking for more money. Um, you, you you get that, but but someone needs to say it. Um, and ideally, obviously, it would come from the top. It would, it, it would be a sort of it would be policy from government. But um, yeah, we sort of have to see see what happens on that. Yeah, indeed. Well, you're not going to get away with not talking about the fact that you have defected from classics to history. So I want to know about this because you're a classicist. Yes. Why are you not doing what I'm doing, Harry? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm, I'm, I am a classicist. Yes, my degree was classics. Um, but actually, interestingly, just before I uh, go on to, to justify myself, um, I, <laughs> I did a four year classics degree, actually. And I think this is one of the, the great secrets um, sort of, of, of uh, university, actually, that there exists a four year classics degree for people who don't have classics A levels. Um, so I didn't actually do because I, I went to a state school myself. Um, I didn't do uh, Latin or obviously Greek at, at school. Um, and therefore, I did a, 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 an ab initio year, a sort of um, Latin from scratch year in my first year and then did a normal um, classics degree after that. Um, so uh, that's the first thing to say, actually, sort of a shout out for the, the four-year classics degree. Mm, um, and then um, I suppose the reason I then uh, defected over to history um, is because so few state schools teach classics. Um, and actually, the training provider where I where I trained didn't uh, didn't support classics anyway um, because uh, none of the none of the state schools in Oxfordshire uh, teach classics. I don't think as a as a timetabled subject. At least I think I'm right about that. Um, but so it basically I, I kind of envisaged myself working in the state sector. Um, so I wanted to keep my options open uh, by and therefore I, I, I trained as a history teacher. Um, so it's I mean and that I think uh, that is going to be a problem for classics. Um, 
uh, and classics teachers because I know there's always kind of a shortage of classics teachers and you think well where do you start because there aren't there aren't that many schools that teach classics so people like me in my position think well should I train to be a classics teacher um yeah I think it's it's another um sort of cycle of of a problem um yeah. and, and yeah. I think it is well and um, so I've always worked in the state sector um yeah. Yeah. but I think I have been incredibly lucky mm. I'll, I'll, I'll be totally honest about that yeah. it wasn't out of some sort of deep again sense of vocation I, mm. I I would have preferred to stay in the state sector for for numerous reasons and I and I got lucky and was able to mm. um mm. but yeah and like you say there aren't many there's only really Cambridge and, and King's College London that, that offer the PGCE yeah. Um, yeah. in the traditional way of, of doing it in, in that one year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a shame. Well, you'll have to set up a, a Latin group or a classics. Do, do, is it taught in your school at all? Well, that's the slight irony, actually, that I have ended up at one of the few state schools that does actually also teach classics. Um, ah! So, I, I mean, really, I've got no excuse, but... Um, but I've kind of I've nailed my colours to the history mask for the time being, at least. Um, oh, oh um, but it does mean potentially you might be able to do the odd little bit here and there. Yeah, maybe? no, certainly, it's certainly, I'm, and it's something I, I've I've said to SLT that I'm I'm very happy to uh, to do that. Um, and actually, I think I I think, I mean, a lot is said about the kind of the demise of classics, but actually, I I feel quietly hopeful for classics, and I I think in particular the fact that university classics departments are starting to think we are going to no longer exist unless we encourage more people to do classics. Um, I think that's, that is going to be a good incentive and, and kind of having the support, greater support of universities in bringing classics, uh, greater classics outreach to, to state schools, I think will help. It, it, even if it is driven largely out of self-preservation, um, I think it's, it will, and, and obviously Classics for All is, is doing a lot of good work, I know, as well. Um, so I, I am sort of quietly hopeful that, that classics, uh, classics is going to make more of a comeback um, over the next few years mm. well, I don't know, again is, is that yeah is that completely unfounded optimism am i don't know. well no i know i mean i i just think for me it's the same as everything else in education the best answer is to do your job really well and that's yeah. what i've always done yeah. and and you know I've never dressed up in a toga. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't do, I don't do this sort of nonsense, Harry. I'm not. I'm yeah. just not interested. Um, just teach your subject well and make the kids successful at it. Yeah. And recruitment solves itself. That's yeah. been my experience. And if you show them how to succeed in a subject that has a reputation of being blooming hard, mm. and and actually don't shy away from that, celebrate it and go, yeah, it is hard, and you are excelling at it and yeah. to me that that's that's actually been the biggest winner and, and my numbers have been really healthy yeah yeah great well um, i mean all power to you uh, and all power to you let's uh, keep keep the latin message going <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's been so wonderful to talk to you harry i hope you've enjoyed being on teachers talk radio I have. Thank you very much. And thank, uh, thank you very much for asking me on. Um, and I think the more, the more we talk about the image of teaching, um, the better, really. So th thank you very much, uh, Emma. Absolutely. Well, as I say, I, I absolutely loved your book. I thought it was um, a wonderful read, uh, really, really interesting and engaging, which, to be honest, I wasn't expecting. I thought, oh, what's this? A book about teaching's reputation? Well, we'll see. But actually, I was gripped, really gripped. I thought it was I thought it was a wonderful read and some really interesting ideas that that will leave me pondering. I don't know if I'm going to come up with the logo, but um, <laughs> I'll certainly yeah. be thinking about it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, that's that's all all I could ask. Emma. <laughs> <laughs>
Take care, Harry. Love Thanks a lot. You. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.